All right, turn to Ephesians. All right, today is the conclusion to my sermon series on the armor of God. <laughs> All right, we're going we're gonna to read the whole section here in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God that hears our prayer. We thank you so much that you are a God that equips us to do whatever battle you call us for, I pray, God, as we uh, wrap up this series, Lord, um, that we would realize, Lord, that you have given us the full armor, the complete armor, the whole armor, um, to be able to do um, the battle, God, the battle that you call us to. So I pray that we would be fully equipped, that we would um, take and put on the full armor, that we would stand firm, Lord. And as we wrap this up, help us with this uh, last piece um, of the armor to understand its significance and a few other points as well. God, we love you. You are a good God to us. Thank you so much. Amen. All right, so we have the last piece of armor here, and it is the sword of the Spirit. This sword, the Greek word was, is makaira, and it was a sword that was about two inches wide, um, sharp on both sides, and about two feet long. Um, this sword was given to the soldier, really to wear on his right side, so that it wouldn't interfere with his shield on the left. Um, it was the same type of sword that Peter used to cut off the high priest's servant's ear. Same type of sword that they actually arrested Jesus with. The same type of sword that was used to kill James, the brother of John and Acts. And it was the same type of sword to use uh, to kill some of the heroes of the faith listed in Hebrews 11. This is the only weapon Paul lists for us to use as offense. It can be used offensively and defensively, and as we're going to see, it ends up being a powerful weapon when it's yielded properly. Offensively, we use it to strike back at the enemy. Defensively, we use it to deflect the enemy's blows against us. However... Um, unlike the shield, which could just kind of be held out. Remember how big the shield was? About two, two and a half feet wide, about four feet high. Um, so you could just hold that out there. 
You could put your shield of faith out there and it would um, take those arrows. Uh, the sword required precision to use properly. Um, it was only 24 inches long, so if the enemy is coming at your legs, you had to be quick to deflect the low thrust of the sword. If he was coming at you high, you had to be quick to thrust to block the high. So precision was key. Listen, Paul could have used a different word um, for a different type of sword, the rumphaya. And that is a sword that would be about three and a half to four feet long, um, which you would use two hands with. And you just kind of just kind of go crazy with it, right? Just swinging back and forth, two hands, that's what it would take to use. Um, there wasn't as much precision as needed to use the rumphaya. He used the makaira because he wanted to emphasize that when you wield the sword, you have to know how to properly handle it. And when it comes to the word of God, the same is true. We must use the word with precision. If you don't know the word well, you won't be able to use it well. So when it comes to the word, when it comes to our sword, we need to have the precision of a surgeon with the scalpel, not the butcher with the meat cleaver hacking away at the meat. Okay? So precision. We need to know thy weapon well. If you don't know it well, you can't use it well. Here's my question for us believers. Do you know the word? Do you really know it? Because we can take different quizzes and tests like that to kind of test our, you know, trivial knowledge of the word. But are you able to apply it? You can have all sorts of different verses memorized, um, but if you don't have the precision to use it at the proper time, then you can be quite dangerous in a bad way. Uh, the painter knows her brush. The sculptor knows his chisel, and the blacksmith knows his hammer. And there will be times when we use the word delicately and gently, like that painter's brush, both for our soul and for others. And there's going to be times when we need that chisel, for the brush is not appropriate for the task. We need a little more force. And yet at other times, it will be best to use the rather blunt striking force of the hammer, and it is best for our soul. Here's what Jeremiah 23 says. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. So let's let the word burn bright like that fire, but also be powerful and do its work. Here's the thing. The word can only do its work if we're actually reading it, if we're studying it, if we're breathing it in, if we're feasting on it, the more you are in it, listen to me, the more you are in it, the more opportunity you give it to work. The more you are in it, the more it will transform you. The more you are in it, the more you will sharpen your sword. The more you are in it, the more you are trained for battle to be able to use this with precision. Listen, there are, I've had people come to me and tell me their quiet times are dry. Hey, I'm, I'm there with you. But there's too much in this word. Okay, that is more of an indictment of ourselves than on God. There's too much in this word 
for us to come to a point where we could complain against God that we've exhausted everything that is possibly here. And there are so many different fields of study and areas which you can approach in studying the word. Um, it, it will take more than a lifetime. Uh, you can do word studies. You can, do, you can trace biblical themes. You can do topical studies. There's areas of theology that some of you probably aren't even familiar with, like historical theology, practical theology, natural theology, systematic theology, dogmatic theology, biblical theology. All of those are different areas that people study and have a specific approach to the scriptures that are biblical. But they approach it in a, in a specific way. And these yield much fruit. You could take a theme like love and see what does God reveal about love from Genesis all to Revelation. Okay? That would be called biblical theology. You could then see what does love look like practically in the life of the believer, and you could study that, and you would talk about practical theology. You could look at how the church for 2,000 years has understood love and what does it look like in its different nuances. That would be historical theology. And on and on and on you could go with every single biblical topic or idea or subject. It'd be more than a lifetime. Listen, Jesus himself, during one of his greatest trials, he used the word of God to do battle against Satan. Look at Matthew 4. Matthew 4, it says in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. First temptation, right? Second, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory, And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Notice that every single time Jesus responds to Satan, it is with these three words, It is written. It is written. What does he refer to? The authority of the word. Now Jesus himself is the word and he was speaking all truth and he could have just answered him in his own words and that would have been sufficient enough because he's Jesus. But what does he do? He refers to the words that were spoken that were ingrained as scripture. And that's how he combats him. And it is an example for us, as we do battle with Satan, how we are to respond. Do not try to be wise or cunning in your own logic or rhetoric or words. Use the word in your battle 
with the enemy. He has no answer. I mean, the conversation that Matthew records is actually rather brief, right? It's hard for Satan to respond to the scriptures when aptly applied. Now, most of these verses uh, that you've read, if we took a test real quick, you might not know where they're at. That's okay. It's, it's not always as key to know, oh, it's Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, or something like that. Um, but it's knowing the word to know when to apply it at the proper time. Whether you know the chapter or the verse, that's nice. I like to have it if possible. But a lot of times when I'm talking to people and ministering or counseling, a lot of times when I'm doing battle, a lot of times when I'm ministering to others, I might not know it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 or something like that, but it's the word. Okay, Just because it does, if, you, if you can say it is written, Jesus didn't say in the book of Deuteronomy. Right? But he said it is written. So it's important for our benefit and for the people we're talking to, and I think for Satan to point out, hey, the word says this. This is what the word says. These aren't my words. This is the word. And because Jesus knew the word, he knew how to respond specifically to Satan in each of those three accusations that Satan was bringing, each of the temptations that were being brought against him. Okay, So we use the word. We use it to build up. One, we should use it to build up the body of Christ. Two, as we reach out to unbelievers with the gospel. And three, we use it to build up ourselves. What do we use it to tear down? Satan's attacks. His strongholds, as 2 Corinthians talks about. Listen, this is a very sharp sword. That's what Hebrews 4 says. A very sharp sword. And it can cut. And it can cut you in a good way if you will let it have its surgery on you. And it can cut in a bad way towards the enemy if you knew and know how to use it rightly. So the only offensive weapon we have for our battle is this last piece of armor that we are given. But there is more. Prayer. Look back in Ephesians, because if you miss this part, you will be quite ineffective in your battle. Different commentators have have kind of discussed uh, when it says in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, is prayer part of the armor? And, then, and they go back and forth. I don't think it's part of the armor because there's no correlation that Paul gives like the other things. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. There's no correlation with the prayer or praying of something. That being said, it is key in our battle because it is like an anointing oil that covers the entire armor. It keeps the armor from rusting or getting ruined. And here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He put it rather simple. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Think about that for a second. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Friends, it is hard to pray. It is hard to pray. It is hard to be serious about prayer. It is hard to be consistent in prayer. It is hard to be faithful in prayer. Uh, we are incomplete without prayer, though. We need it 
very much. I want to make a few points here that we can gloss over if we're not careful that Paul points out. First, look back at verse 18. Notice that he says, praying at all times. Spurgeon said, prayer must not be our chance work, but our daily business, our habit and vocation. So we need to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, that's what Paul's saying. We need to pray throughout the day. We need to pray when we least feel like it. We need to pray when it's the last thing we want to do. We need to pray when we're discouraged. We need to pray when we're depressed. We need to pray when we're hopeless. Because usually that's when we most need it. We need to go to God in prayer at all times. The importance of prayer in the Christian life cannot be overstated. Okay? But because we're fickle, because we're impatient, because we're fidgety, because we think we know better, because we presume upon God, we don't pray. It's that simple. And it is to our detriment. We need to become addicted to prayer. It needs to be an addiction that we cannot live without. Listen, a prayerless Christian is a very weak warrior. Right, if you've ever tried to do battle in your own flesh, it's an epic fail. If you try to walk apart from the Spirit, you crash and burn. It is not pretty. Listen, prayer is like, it's not like the salt that you sprinkle on top of the Christian life and it just, oh, it just makes everything better. It's like the main course. It needs to be the thing that we feast on. It needs to be something that is imbibed throughout us completely. We need to pray at all times. Second, notice that he says this, praying at all times in the Spirit. We need to pray in the Spirit. Any person who prays regularly realizes they don't really know how to pray. Think about that. If you pray on a regular basis, you realize how inept you are at praying. That's okay. It's not your job. It's the Spirit's job. You get in the prayer closet, and you get real with the Lord, and let the Spirit do his role. Look at Romans 8. We're given some specific instructions. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Any of you weak? I'm weak. All right. Any of you weak in prayer? I'm weak in prayer. I could do a lot better. Look what he says. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This assumes something, folks. It assumes we're praying. It assumes we're praying. It's hard for the Spirit to intercede with our prayers when we're not offering up prayers. Okay, so we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If you're in your prayer closet, if you are praying, if you are being real before the Lord, the Word says the Spirit takes that prayer and he gets it to the Lord exactly how it needs to get there. 
Sometimes it's important for us just to get into the prayer closet and to do some praying. God will honor that. He will honor your time in the prayer closet. The Spirit will take it and use it. <clears throat> Listen, John Stone Street, maybe some of you know him, um, president of the Chuck Colson Center for Worldview. He tells this story when he was in high school. He and his buddy were assigned to go to um, this elderly lady's house um, from their church and to, to minister to her. And, um, and they get there. And they're like, we'll just keep this real short, you know, because we're going to get out of here real quick. Um, and so they go in there, and, um, and, and this lady, this elderly lady from the church prays, and, and John really isn't, isn't um, serious about the Lord at the time. He might not even be saved. But he, he, he says that she prays in a way that he had never seen before. He was just floored by her prayer. And so after she prayed, they kind of, you know, chit-chat for a little bit, and, and then they, they take off, and he goes back home. And for the next couple of years, he doesn't think anything about it. Um, but he wakes up one day, and he wakes up, and this elderly lady, like, is on his mind, and he, like, can't get this elderly lady, like, out of his mind. So he's like, this is so crazy. But he goes, because he remembers where she lived, he goes back to her house two years later, and he, like, knocks on the door. And he's like, hey, uh, you might not remember me, but, but my name is John. And she says, John, I prayed for you this morning. That's a lady who's praying in the spirit. That's a lady who is a prayer warrior. That's a lady who is uh, seeking after the Lord. And John shares in his testimony that that lady prayed him out of many bad situations throughout the years without him knowing it and prayed him into many good situations throughout the years without him knowing it. Um, we need people like that lady. A lot of times when we think of the prayer warriors, uh, whatever, we might think of the pastor. We might think of the guy who's up front all the time. We might think of the most boisterous person who can be as loud as they want in prayer. That might be true, but not necessarily some of the best prayer warriors are the people that you might not even ever hear one word of up front here. You might not ever hear them share. And that's okay. Because they're doing their battle in the closet. Probably for you. And you can be that prayer warrior. Notice thirdly that he says in verse 18, pray with prayer and supplication. Essentially, I think he's saying this. Be intentional about your prayer life. A believer needs to be a prayer, a person who prays. And here's the thing. When you get in your closet, pray until you pray. Because if you're like me, you get in there and all of a sudden you're thinking about, you know, I got this to do today and I got that meeting. And I got, you know, your mind is like all over the place. And you're distracted and all these different things going on. And it's like... Sometimes I feel like half my prayer time is me just like getting refocused so I can pray. But that's okay. Because you know what? That's the enemy. He will throw every distraction at you. He will bring up everything on your calendar, everything you got to do that day, all the work that awaits you. He will convince you that you don't have time to pray that day because you have so much going on. You know what Martin Luther said? He said, I have so much going on today that I had to spend two hours in prayer before I began the day. He put his priorities where he needed them. And he knew without the Lord, without his dependence on him, he couldn't get accomplished, truly, what he needed to get accomplished. 
So distractions are going to come. Um, you got to press through those. And if you can, and if, you've, if you know, if you've been in that situation where you can press through that, and you can enter that sweet time of prayer, it is well rewarding. God blesses you for it. Listen, some of the sweetest times of prayer have been right here on Wednesday nights at the upper room. And if you've come to the upper room, uh, you can attest to it. It is good for us to pray privately, but it's good for us to pray corporately. In our Wednesday nights, we have seen healing, we've seen repentance, we've seen thanksgiving, we've seen supplication, we've seen intercession, and God's working. And IGY students are joining it too. You know, parents, I encourage you, if you're IGY student, if you're students at IGY, then be here with us because they're here. And we're praying together. And it's a good thing. Let's not pray prayerless prayers. Because I feel like sometimes we're, we're so weak and lame walking into the prayer closet, we're, almost, we're acting defeated before we ever get in there. And this believes a lie about God. That he's either not going to hear us, or he doesn't care about our prayer, or he's unable to answer it. Um, those are lies. And that's what Satan's going to throw at you. He wants you to believe those lies. Believe when you enter the closet that you are victorious, because in Christ you are. Lastly, notice what he says. Not just pray with prayer and supplication, but pray with all prayer and supplication. All prayer. You can go to the throne of grace with confidence, Hebrews says. You can go before your heavenly Father knowing that he wants you in his presence. He desires you to come before him. We need to take it, everything, everything we have, the big, the small, we need to take each of those things, our heart's desires, our hurts, our temptations, we need to take those things to the Lord. All prayer. We're praying for everything. Everything. Big and small. In Belize this past summer, just a couple weeks ago, um, our last night uh, for the church service, our last church service that the team did there, um, you know, Mike Smith ended up sharing the gospel. Twelve people responded and trusted Jesus. Now, twelve people here... Um, that's a great number, even for American churches. In, in a Belize church, that is a huge number. Twelve people got saved. One of them was an elderly lady who was in poor health, and she got saved. And a week later, she passed away. She got in at the 11th hour because of all prayer. Because the team in this church for weeks and months, was praying. We were praying ahead of time. We were praying that God would anoint the team's time down there. That God would use our people. That God would use us to minister to those people. And he did. And there is a lady in heaven right now, thanks in part to the efforts of this church. God gave her one more chance And she got into that church, and she responded in faith because of all prayer. God listening and honoring it. Notice a couple more things 
in Ephesians as he wraps this up. He uses two participles, basically, words that end in ing. Praying, and then it says, keeping alert. The idea is this. The attack is imminent. And it will happen at any moment, and so you must be fully prepared for the attack to come. Because it is not a matter of seeing an attack and then putting the armor on. Think of soldiers sleeping in their tents at night. That's the best time to attack. You catch them off guard. So you have to have the armor on at all times. In fact, there'll never be a point in your Christian life where you have the opportunity to take it off. Because if you do that, you are exposed. What happens sometimes is you go through a great trial or temptation, you go through some great battle, and you're like, man, I made it, I made it, right? And you kind of rest. And you kind of sit back, and it's almost like you've taken off your armor, and then, boom, you get hit with something. No, that's, that's Paul is concerned for that happening. That's why he says, keep alert with all perseverance. You have to persevere. You will go from one battle to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Will the Lord give you a break? Yes. But you don't know how long that break's going to last. Might be a day. Might be a week. You have to be prepared at all times. You have to keep alert. You have to be looking for where Satan is trying to get at you and to get at your family. You have to watch. So important is prayer to all of this that, that Paul doesn't just say pray. That's kind of what I'm trying to point out to you. He's not just like pray because it's an important thing. Now, I mean, he, he really does approach it and emphasize it really four different ways. Not just pray, but pray at all times. Not just pray, but pray in the Spirit. Not just pray, but pray with prayer and supplication. Not just pray, but pray with all prayer and supplication. Paul wanted us to understand the importance of praying. Listen, prayer to our soul is like food to our body. Can we live without food? I mean, I guess sort of, like on a diet of liquid, right? It'd be kind of miserable. I've known people that have had to do that. But what does that make us? It makes us weak. It makes us malnourished. It makes us uh, physically unfit. It clouds our thinking. It affects us. We need food. In the same way, we need prayer. Otherwise, we are weak, malnourished, and unprepared for what comes our way. We need to be praying people. Lastly, I want you to look at Judges 6, because I want to point something out to you guys that I think is important. I think that people, many people, they struggle with God's view of them and their own view of themselves. And if you're going to adopt one of them, Adopt God's view. So I want to use this as an illustration here that you see in Judges chapter 6. In verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, if you know the story of Gideon, you know the great stuff that he goes on to do. But I, I, I want to focus on his beginnings. 
And where is his beginnings at? Hiding scared in a wine press from the enemy. But did the angel come and, and rebuke him for being a chicken? No, look how the angel of the Lord addresses him. O mighty man of valor. Some versions say valiant warrior. Some versions say mighty warrior. So you have our view versus God's view. Our view is us hiding in the wine press. Scared. God's view is mighty warrior. So if, if you are a believer, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted him with the very care of your own soul, then, then his view is much more important than yours of who you are. And a lot of times, sometimes we can end up esteeming ourselves better than we ought, which we all do that. But a lot of times we, we look down on ourselves and we beat ourselves up more than we should. Um, we need a God's view on this. And so God, through Paul, is talking about the full armor of God, and he sees you as the mighty warrior. He, he goes on in Romans, and this is what he says in Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, and all, the, all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Right? You are more than a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror. That's pretty cool. You're more than a conqueror. You are the mighty warrior. So the idea is, go out and conquer. You're not some weak, nimble, little puny, four-foot warrior. That's not how God sees you. He sees you as more than adequate up to the task when you have the armor on, when you are walking it out completely. You are the conqueror. You are the mighty warrior. Listen, one day will come when we take off the armor. One day. One day will come when we trade in our armor for robes of glory. You ready for that day? I'm ready for that day. But that day is not here for us. Not today. So until then, we wear the armor. We fight the good fight. We arm ourselves and we do battle. And in Christ, we will be victorious. 1 Corinthians 15. Look there and we'll close with this. 1 Corinthians 15. Just one verse. Verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory in Jesus. Victory is guaranteed It is ours, so let us fight the good fight. Let us have the full armor on. Let us be equipped, knowing that God has granted the victory to us. We can walk victoriously. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that we have the victory in Christ. We thank you that we're yours, Lord. We're not of the world anymore, that you've claimed us for your own. That we're yours, We're not slaves to sin. We're not servants of Satan. We're servants of you, God. We're children of you. We thank you, God, that you love us so much. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of eternal life. 
Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would have on the full armor, that we would be fully equipped, God. Lord, give us a hunger and a desire for your word. Give us a hunger and desire to be people of prayer. Lord, your word is so rich. We thank you for it, God. Lord, communion with you, fellowship with you. Nothing else compares. And we thank you, Lord, that we have that, that we can commune with the King of Kings. Be with us, God. Speak to us. Touch our hearts. Touch our souls, Lord. Let us be transformed for your glory, God. We love you. Amen.